0: So grab your Bible, grab your Bible app, grab something that has the Word of God on it, in it, written on it, whatever, um, because you're going to need it today. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 13 today. Uh, You can find it if you even just grab that Bible off the pew in front of you, go to the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Uh, So this chapter is 52 verses long, uh, and and we're going to go through the text a little different today. Uh, I'll, I'll summarize a few sections and then we'll read the portions where there is uh, Something specific for us to hear and, and to believe uh, and so keep that text in front of you because uh, I, I'm going to be pointing to it often. Okay, um, so there's going to be kind of this Up down kind of motion hopefully or else you've just zoned out and i'll know it today uh, So we're going to start by reading the first three verses of the chapter and then we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to just uh Give us understanding of his words, enlighten our minds, to give us joy and focus on this today. Uh, and then we'll jump right into it. So, Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manhean, uh, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, which they were worshiping. Uh, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you called Paul and Barnabas to carry your gospel to faraway lands. We hope that you'll raise up men and women from among us to also carry your gospel to those who need to hear it, both across the globe and to every nook and cranny on this mission field that you have currently placed us in today. Uh, Give us a love for your word this morning. Enlighten our minds to understand and to believe it and to focus uh, as we work through this today. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this list of people in, in the church of Antioch is, is a fairly interesting group. Uh, it kind of goes through this list. You have Simeon, who is called Niger. Again, I can't pronounce these things. I know how not to pronounce that. Uh, and he was called so because his, his skin was dark. It was not a derogatory term by any, any means at this time. Uh, and then you have Lucius, uh, Lucius, who was from this day, uh, was from the place Libya today, or Libya, which is in North Africa today, or it was back then too. Uh, and then Manian, Man-A-ian, someone can pronounce these better than me. I'm from Texas, that's my out on that. <clears throat> and he was a lifelong friend of Herod. Uh, not the one from last week who got eaten by worms, but uh, the same Herod that we've talked about who beheaded John the Baptist because the girl who danced well, and the same Herod who um, actually mocked Jesus during his trial. And so this guy actually is a lifelong friend of that guy. Uh, it's clear here that, that God is showing absolutely no partiality in how he is redeeming people uh, as we see this diverse group of people even in in, in the, the church here in Antioch and and then as our, our text begins the, the church is fasting okay do you know what fasting means it just to abstain from food it could be anything but particularly food is uh, typically the case and they do sort of focus on uh, on prayer and and worship uh, typically, when fasting is done in a church, even today, it's done corporately. I think we tend to think of it as an individual thing, but but you see even here, um, it's done corporately, and it's when there's some important issue that is being prayed about, maybe the election of, of officers in the church or uh, calling a pastor or sending out missionaries or something along that line. Uh, in this case, uh, they have been fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit speaks through someone uh, communicating that there was a particular calling on Paul and Barnabas's life. Okay, it doesn't tell us exactly what this communication of the Holy Spirit looks like. It just tells us that indeed the Holy Spirit says this. So, um, and and the calling is this: they're going to be sent to foreign cities to proclaim the gospel. It's that simple. Um, one thing we've seen then with both of these men, and, and I want you to notice this, is that already in their life they have been proclaiming the gospel wherever they have been. Uh, it's just part of their natural lifestyle, and I mention this to you uh, because too often I, I've talked to people who uh, will, will tell me they have this calling, this feeling to, to some sort of vocational ministry, that um, pastoral ministry, or missions, or campus, or youth ministry, or something along that lines, and, and then I'll ask them, you know, so, so what does you know, ministry look like for you right now uh, in your life, and, and too often the answer is something along the lines will well, nothing. Um, you know, I don't really not involved in anything. I just think it might be a cool thing to do someday. Uh and here's the deal if you don't enjoy telling people about Jesus now, no matter what your position in life is, that will not change simply because because it becomes your job. Okay. Uh, so when they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas here, it's it's this way of acknowledging that that um the the church is officially sanctioning this. These are our missionaries and we're sending them out and we approve of what they're gonna say. Uh and, and so there's an official sanctioning there. Uh so then what happens is Paul and Barnabas leave, they get on a boat and they go to the island of Cyprus. Have you ever seen the Mediterranean? There's that one giant island kind of off to the what would that be, the west, uh the west of it? Uh and they get there and they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues across the island. They're kind of moving across it. Uh, and so when they meet this one guy named Bar Jesus, he's a magician, right? He's someone who does magic. Uh, his name means son of Joshua or son of Jesus. It's kind of ironic that his name means son of Jesus once you see uh, how this turns out for him. Uh, it's an odd name. Probably none of you have ever considered naming your child Bar Jesus. Um, and that's good. That would be confusing. Uh, it is his name. It was actually a very common name at the time uh, because it means, you know, son of Jesus or son of Joshua. Uh, and with Bar Jesus is this man who is a high-ranking official in the government named Sergius Paulus. Now that's a cool name. Consider that one. <clears throat> His title was proconsul, and and when Paul and Barnabas get there, they they want you know he wants to hear the word of God from them. Uh, however, Bar Jesus actively tried to turn away the proconsul. Uh, you know, don't have faith in Jesus. Don't listen to these men. And, and the text tells us, look there in verse nine, that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? I point that out to you because that's important. Um, I point it out because you're going to be surprised by how Paul responds so fiercely uh, to Bar-Jesus because he's trying to persuade the proconsul away from faith. Uh, So look with me, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Okay, wow. Um, Paul had misplaced his copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People and and just went all out. So that's why I'm telling you he's filled with the Holy Spirit because if you and I look at that, and it's so harsh that we tend to think he must be sinning in the way he's responding, and that's not the case. Um, He's trying to, uh, <clears throat> to put this in perspective because this magician is trying to stop someone from receiving the grace of God. And that just drives him fiercely to stop this man. Okay, Now, keep in mind, these are unique times, right? Um, <clears throat> you and I can respond just as fiercely with our words. Uh, but God's not given us the same unique, unique ability to, to just declare blindness on someone in the way that we just see, see Paul do here. It's probably good. We'd, we'd get way out of hand, probably. We'd all be blind. Uh, Paul here is a, an, an apostle, and remember, uh, even back when, when Sam was preaching earlier, that is a unique calling on his life. Uh, We can better understand this then when when we understand that the the title apostle is not unique to the church. It was actually a title that was given to secular officials who were commissioned by Caesar, right, the the head honcho, uh, to basically speak in his name. And so that anyone who disobeyed one of Caesar's apostles uh, was treated as if they were actually disobeying Caesar. That's what we're seeing here in the case of the apostles, okay? That's a weird thing to say. Uh, But Paul had this unique authority given to him by God, uh, by Christ. uh, And at this moment, when he's being opposed by this magician, uh, this is what he's able to do. Um, This man is, in fact, made blind, showing that Paul indeed had the ability to do that. Uh, And in verse 12, we read that the proconsul... Uh, that's the official he was trying to stop, actually believes in in the response to what he sees. He saw the power of God. And also, as the text tells us, okay, notice this also, it says, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So in this amazing moment, we see that while Bar-Jesus was blinded, the proconsul actually receives eyes of faith to believe the gospel. Um, So then they leave, right? We're going to be right in verse 13. Uh, so now they travel across the sea. It's not a real far journey. Uh, John ends up leaving them. He goes back to Jerusalem. We don't find out at this point anything about that. We'll find out later. Paul did not appreciate that, wanted him to stick around. Um, but they arrive in Perga. Perga is about five miles. So you li- land on the beach, you go up five miles, and you're in Perga, uh, <clears throat> you know, from the ocean. And then they continue inland another hundred miles. A- and they come to this place called Antioch and Pisidia which is a little bit confusing because it's called Antioch, right? Uh, it's not the same city as Antioch in Syria, which we just learned about. It just shares the same name. Um, I know this is hard to imagine. It might be like like someone naming uh, a city in the middle of Kansas uh, the same name as a city in New York. That's a little well-known, but no one would do that because that would be confusing. Um, and it is confusing. Every once in a while, I get a phone call or an email from someone in Manhattan asking about the church. Uh, Manhattan, New York. And I say, sure, you're welcome. We meet at nine. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, as is their practice, they go into the synagogues uh, and, and they're teaching, uh, or they're listening to the teaching and the reading of the word, and the leaders there invite them, actually invite them to share, uh, as verse 15 says here, look at that, uh, any word of encouragement for the people. Okay, keep in mind, they aren't asking Paul and Barnabas, hey, tell us about Jesus. Uh, that's not what they think is going to happen. This, this was a practice that was common in the synagogues, that after reading some portion of, uh, of the Law and the Prophets, you know, the Old Testament, someone could stand and then explain, this is what this text means, and here's how to apply it to uh, our lives currently. Um, and so, so listen, though. They, they take advantage of this opportunity. Someone asked them, Well, you want to share anything? Well, sure. Uh, church, anytime time we are given the opportunity to speak about Jesus, take it. Okay? There is a way to do that that is appropriate, but every time you get the opportunity, take it. I, uh, I know even just a, a few weeks ago, a couple of us made it out to Eric Cooper's promotion ceremony. Um, he invited us to come and, and to pray for him and in the ceremony. Uh, and then in the name of... Uh, of jesus uh, you know he gives his speech uh, and in that speech he actually had us make snowballs and throw it at each other which was really weird i would never seen that before uh really fun though it was satisfying uh but in this speech he also spoke of our creator and our redeemer uh, and he took this opportunity where they said you know what you can speak to your unit here he takes this opportunity to remind his unit that there is something much more important than simply your position in the army. Uh, and I really appreciated using this opportunity to, to speak of God because that puts us in an uncomfortable position sometimes. Um, I've seen many of you do very similar things. Um, I'll tell you a couple. Uh, la- last fall, a guy named Colin Garra, very few of you know him because he's a fourth-grade boy who lives in Kansas City, a um, uh, guy we know. But he was running for treasurer in his school, a public school. Uh, and part of that speech, I was watching a video of it one day, is... Um, and that he stands up and he's telling his classmates why he would make a good treasurer. And he says in front of them all, he says, God teaches us to live by example and to put others first. And it just, nonchalantly, just, you know, this is my faith. Because of my faith in God, it was just beautiful. It was bold. Um, you know, there are so many ways that we do this. And, I, and I'm giving you a few examples because I want you to realize it's not just the words. There's a lot of other ways we do this. I'll share just one more. Um, two years ago, Laura and I went to... Uh, um, the Bates Dance Studio, end-of-year recital at McCain Hall. Uh, and the opening number was this joyful version of this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And it was fantastic. And I think, you know, we also knew the prayer that went into that decision before they, uh, they decided to lead with that song, and there was some nervousness, but they did it. And it was just a beautiful thing to see because, you know, in this era where, where Jesus is often not exalted within the walls of the church, it was beautifully refreshing to see Jesus being exalted outside the walls of the church in this way. Uh, and and so here in our text, they're given the opportunity. Paul jumps at the opportunity, and he's going to speak about Jesus in a way that's way bolder than probably any of us would ever be out in some public setting. And it's it's awesome, okay? Um, so the question is, what are you going to say? How do you do this in such a way that's not offensive? And I don't know that that ever crosses mine. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so we'll see this so uh, because it's a good question Um, think about that if someone asked you right now so so tell me what you believe about God that would be the greatest invitation ever right like okay I can do that Uh, I I hope we have an answer to that and I we look at a text like this and it really I think helps us to even have a better answer for that sort of sort of question if you are ever asked this Uh, and so Paul stands and our text says he motions with his hands I don't I don't know what that means. He did something with his hands. I have no idea what it was. Um, but he, then he motions with his hands and he speaks. Uh, so keep your Bible open right in front of you. We're going to be kind of popping in and out right here. Uh, we'll comment along the way. Verse 16. He says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. So he's addressing the Jewish people and he's addressing others who are interested in, in Judaism. They're interested in this, this faith. Um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, they're in a synagogue. I don't know if they're partial Jews or uh, what, what their situation is, but they're clearly interested in understanding this. Uh, and so far, what we see Paul doing is he's telling the Jewish people their own story. You know, they've already heard this. Um, verse 18, And for about 40 years... He put up with them in the wilderness. That's God who put up with them uh, with the Israelites. You remember the the story. They were an absolute pain in the butt, complaining constantly for 40 years. and, And yet God doesn't abandon his people. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 19. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will of this man's offspring. God had brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised Again, most of this is the story they're very familiar with. Paul reminds them, God promised to give a Savior to you. And then he shares this new thing with them. He says, Jesus is that promised Savior. So look what happens next. Verse 24. But before his, it's talking about Jesus, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me is one, one is coming, the sandals whose feet I am not worthy to untie. John the Baptist points to Jesus. All right, we're going to keep reading. And I want you to notice here that Paul again is appealing to them, not as some outsiders, but as his, his fellow Jews, as those within the family. Uh, okay, uh, verse 26. Brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. He's telling them Jesus was rejected in Jerusalem, just as the prophets said was going to be the case. And, And then in verse 28, he's still talking about Jesus. And it reads, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. Jesus is dead. You know this story, most likely. I know this story. But these people, they don't know this story. They're hearing it for the first time. They're hearing that God sent the promised Messiah... The one whom they had been waiting for for so many years. That he had sent them to their people and, and their leaders, their, their brothers in Jerusalem, had killed the Messiah. So this is not good news. Now you could you could do a series in, on the wonderful butts of the Bible. Uh, people actually have done that and it sounds as weird as I just said it. Uh, <clears throat> Acts 13.30 Certainly should be included in any series like that. Um, and see, because we've just learned that Jesus was, was killed and was buried, and this is just terrible news, but look at verse thirty. But God raised him from the dead. And then we read this list of witnesses, since the first question that enters anyone's mind when you say Jesus rose from the dead is Did God really raise him up from the dead? Is this a true story? And so Paul explains there are witnesses to this. And so look, starting in verse 31 and and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who are now his witnesses to the people and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. And so from this point on Paul is going to point to the point the people to the Old Testament scripture showing uh, that they were always speaking of Jesus. So look at verse 35, 33, rather. Um, it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. OK, that's from Isaiah 55, verse three. And then in verse 35, he's quoting from Psalm 16, uh, verse 10, saying, you will not let your holy one see corruption um, and let's keep reading. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and he was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Do you understand that? you understand when it's saying corruption here? It's, it's talking about David's body actually rotting. Because that's, that's what dead bodies do. That's what David's body uh, remains dead and it would have rotted. In fact, to this day, King David's body has no life in it. Wherever it is, if there's anything left of it at all, uh, there is no life in it. Jesus was dead three days and rose again, but his body did not rot. There is life in Jesus' physical body today. And so then, what we're going to see here in the text is Paul starts to make this this real personal. Okay. Um, In fact, the word therefore, you see it in verse 38. uh, This is the transition point. He's been proclaiming the gospel. You know, here's rock-solid information. And now he's bringing this, this point of application. It's kind of the, this is what everything I just told you about Jesus means for you. So let's read it. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You see what he's saying? If you believe, if your trust is in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Only Jesus can set you free from your one underlying problem in this world, sin. You see verse 39, that word freed here? It's used twice in this verse. You'll see it twice here. And it's the same Greek word that's translated throughout the book of Romans as justified. Um, like Romans, Romans 3.28, which says, For behold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It's the same message here that, that Paul tells these people. You can't keep the law. I mean, do you understand what that means? Um, let me try to explain it. Uh, see, we're called criminals when we violate the law of our government, right? That's the term. And we are called sinners when we violate the perfect law of God. And I realized uh, the other day, thinking about this, that I am constantly a criminal. And I just haven't been held accountable for my crimes. It's true, your pastor is a criminal. Um, just thinking of gr- driving for a minute. See, the laws of driving are, are good, but I don't, I don't keep them real well. Um... I mean, I'm not driving drunk or over people, right? Um, but think about how often we actually break the laws of the road. Uh, oops, I'm I'm speeding. You know, my kid's won't for me sometimes. It's 20. <clears throat> or I crossed that yellow line to go left. Uh, or I definitely just rolled that stop sign. Or I didn't use my blink. Or I, you know, I picked up my phone and was using it. I just went straight while I am in a turn lane only. My tags are expired. Or... Yep, I just u turn despite the sign that says no U-turns. You know, I know that the yellow light does not mean speed up. But sometimes I do. Now, if a police officer were omnipresent, I would have many tickets at the end of each week. Uh, In the same way, I can't keep the law of God. Uh, And the problem is God actually is omnipresent. He not only sees the sin that I do if he were to follow me around... Um, but he also sees the sins in, in my mind, and my heart, that I commit. Uh, so it's an analogy, right? And of course this analogy breaks down because violating God's law is so much worse since it actually earns me the wrath of God. So you, you see why this is such good news? Why this is so wonderful that, that Jesus has kept the law of God and keeping it perfectly uh, it has been counted to us? His perfect keeping is counted to us when we have faith in Christ. I mean, that's, that's the message. And then in verse 40, Paul, Paul gives this warning, right? It's actually a quote from the book of Habakkuk. It says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. What's sad about that, that warning is overwhelmingly they do become what the prophets speak of here. Uh, when they're told about the work of salvation through Jesus, they, they do not believe and they will perish. In verse 42, we, we see that some of those present are so interested in what's being said that they, they beg them to come back next week and tell us more. In fact, they follow them around during the week. We don't know what happens during the week. Um, nothing's recorded, but we do know that seven days later, it says the entire city gathers to hear them speak. That's a big deal. In verse 45, it shouldn't shock us that the Jews are jealous at how many people come to listen to Paul and Barnabas. You know, where were you two weeks ago? Um, They see it as a threat to their way of life. They see it as a, a threat to their understanding of their Jewish faith, and they begin to argue with them. You know, Jesus is the Messiah. No, he's not. You know, Jesus rose from the dead. No, he didn't. And, and Paul responds telling them, listen, we came to you first because you're God's covenant people. We're family. But since you're rejecting this, we're going to do what God's word tells us to do and take this to the Gentiles. In fact, taking it to the Gentiles has always been God's plan. And that's, that's why we see Paul or, or Barnabas. We don't know who's speaking right at this point. Uh, but, but he quotes Isaiah 49.6 here in Acts 13.47. Um the whole verse from Isaiah, I'll read from there, it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This verse from Isaiah says he's going to make, the, make him a light to the nations. Do you understand that? Imagine this. Imagine, if you will, that you are standing in an absolute pitch black room and I tell you, Everything you need to know to have eternal life is written on the floor. If you've ever been in a pitch black room, you know that you can't see your, your hand in front of your face, let alone words written on the floor. Uh, the only hope that you have in that moment for, for learning that information would be to have some light source. Jesus is that light. Jesus is that revelation. You might. Even remember, uh, after Jesus was born, his, his parents eventually take him to the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And there in the temple, there's this man named Simeon, um, and, and he's excited to see Jesus. In Luke 2.30, Simeon's holding Jesus, and he prays out loud to God, and he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is the light of the world. God showed that to Simeon, even when Jesus was a child. But there's, there's more to this. and the Great Commission, Jesus gave his people a, a command to, to make disciples of all nations. And then at Acts 1.8, when we first began this, we saw, You will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, the light of Christ shines here in Antioch, Pisidia, as the truth of the gospel is proclaimed to these Gentiles who need forgiveness Forgiveness that is found in Jesus alone. And how do they respond? I mean, we, we ask that, right? We can look down and see that. But we ask, how do they respond? Because there's only two ways you can respond to the gospel. And already we have seen the Jews overwhelmingly choose to reject their Messiah, their Savior. But how do the Gentiles respond? Look at verse 48. It says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I hope reading this, even 2,000 years later, these people that you don't know, that it, it just makes your heart happy to see them respond to the gospel this way. See, they they rejoice because they understood that they were sinners and that, that Jesus is now their Savior. They understood that. You also notice that phrase... Uh, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You might call this Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. I honestly could care less what you call it, so long as you understand this is how God works salvation in the hearts of men and women. Uh, The truth that it is God who works to bring about salvation does not mean that we can deny our responsibility for evangelism missions. And it doesn't mean that because God works through the obedience of his disciples to faithfully take the gospel to those who he will bring to saving faith. You see the, the big picture here? Um, the fact that these, these Gentiles were appointed to eternal life. Tells us that every step of the way was orchestrated by God. Because as Cademan's Call once sang. You can't plan the end and not plan the means. So think about that. Think about all the things that had to take place that led up to that moment. Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Barnabas going to get Paul, you know, when he was in Syria. Uh, Them even just getting on the right boat that took him to to Cyprus and then over to Perga. Uh, The leaders in the synagogue asking, hey, you have anything to share? Or even these Gentiles, whatever went on in their day that led to them being there to hear it this morning. The bottom line is that anyone who is believing the gospel, it is because God has appointed them to believe it. This also means that sometimes people are going to hate the message. This is an important thing for us to understand, particularly in the area we live in. Because we live in a generation where we think if people hate the message of the gospel, then the message must be wrong. You know, sure, it might be that the messenger is obnoxious, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Well, you know, we live in an era where telling someone you're a sinner and deserving a hell according to God, is just an unacceptable thing to do. And so honestly, telling someone that they need Jesus to be made right and holy and whole is just offensive. And, and too often, those who profess faith in Christ ha- have seen how people respond to the message of the gospel and just t- come to the conclusion that the message must change. And it must change so that the people will, will love the message. And I, I get it. I get that temptation you know, A message that says, you know, God just loves everyone equally and everyone will be saved and God doesn't care about your sin. That does have wide appeal. I mean, you're going to tell me that God didn't care about my sin and he just wants me to be happy? That I can get on board with, you know, easily. That's easy to appreciate. But it's not true. Let me encourage you to proclaim the truth even when you fear it might be rejected. Because the, the message of salvation is, is found in Jesus alone. Uh, that's the message that, that God has... It's the only message that God has given us to carry out into the world. And, and, and understand this, you know. If, if someone hates God's word, it's, it's because they're in rebellion against God. And so pray for God to soften their hearts, but don't change the message. Don't change it to something that a hard and rebellious heart will find unoffensive. Because, you know, consider this, you know. If, if you have a speeding ticket... And I tell you, hey, don't worry about it. It's fine. The government doesn't care one way or another if you pay that ticket. Seriously, don't worry about it. Just relax. That might sound great to you at the time, right? Uh, Even when I'm telling you this, it might just set you at ease and you feel good. Okay, that's no big deal. Uh, But that's no good to you six months later when you get pulled over because your unpaid ticket has turned into a warrant for your arrest. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we've been called to a very simple task to make disciples and to begin by sharing the good news that that sinners are redeemed when they look to jesus with faith for the forgiveness of sin Uh, also notice in these words there's something else i want us to see Um, this should be a humbling and encouragement to all of us uh, to all who trust in jesus because it's very clear if you believe the gospel it's only because god appointed you to do something it's something god has done so check your pride at the door uh, our passage then comes to, the, to an end uh, with Paul and, and Barnabas. They're being driven out of the town. Uh, their message was not accepted real well by, by some of the leaders in the town. And on their way out of town, it says, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Um, I think we, we struggle in life. If you're like me, maybe I'm insane, but uh, you know I, I really struggle sometimes when I, when I think someone might not like me. Like, the feeling that they might not like me really weighs on me. Can you imagine just how discouraged you could be uh, if you were so hated that the people of your town, uh, the town you're in, actually drive you out of town? Physically driven out of town. I think it's amazing to see this and see that they're, they're not discouraged, though. You know, this shaking off of the dust of their feet. this is... You know, some symbolism kind of thing. Um, it was an offensive thing to do. It was saying, we're so done with you. Like We don't even want your dust on our feet. We're out of here. Uh, we're moving on from this. And then this this last verse, verse 52, puts it all in perspective. Look at it. You've got your Bibles open still, I hope. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They they had a proper worldview. We can, we can see this because despite they're being run out of town. They are filled with joy in the fact that God saved sinners while they were there. Um, and so then we we step back from this, okay? We get to the end of this chapter. We step back from the whole chapter, and we see that both the redemption of the proconsul in the first section and the salvation of the, the Gentiles in the second section uh, is first and foremost a work of God in the unfolding history of redemption. And so, church, let us let us not be afraid for... For we have seen that when God is at work, absolutely nothing can stand in His way. So let us let's pray, and I mean this, let us pray for God to work in our lives and in our city and on our campus and on our base and in this beautiful region that God has placed us in. Let's pray. God, would you make our hearts to rejoice that the light has shone in the darkness and bring salvation to the ends of the earth? God, if if we have known You for for many years, if we have known the good news for many years, that, that we are saved by grace through faith, if that glorious news has faded in our hearts, please renew our understanding of our sinfulness and our finite lives, which will come to an end. And that the only thing that guards us from the wrath of God we rightly deserve is the righteousness of Jesus applied to us. To our name. As David prayed in Psalm 51, we ask today, Restore unto us, O Lord, the joy of Your salvation. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.